I am really pleased, honored to have the opportunity to interview Crystal Crawford, one of the founders of the National Association of Diversity and Inclusion for Health Professionals. This association is a social enterprise that aims to improve the healthcare experience among minorities. The organization aims to address the healthcare inequality gap for people of color and supports innovative diversity and inclusion training programs in order to improve patient outcomes. Crystal Crawford, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Chris. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Crystal, talk a little bit about, before we get into the, the basics of what you're up to, talk a little bit about your background. You're a black woman who obviously has seen uh, what healthcare does with the black community and people of color. Talk a little bit about how you got into this and, and what really was your biggest motivation. Sure. Um, well, I've been in life science for 11 years. Um, I have a strong pharmaceutical background. And I stumbled into cancer research, actually. <laughs> um, I was trying to go for a consulting gig and ended up being interviewed for a uh, clinical monitor and ended up loving it because I saw firsthand how drugs were developed and treatment was developed um, and, you know, just finding cures and treatments. And I became I've developed a strong vocation for this role. Um, however, throughout the course of my career, I've always had friends and family that would have these horrible experiences in a doctor's office. And I, and I always thought to myself, um, this, this is odd because, you know, I love what I do and I put my best foot forward. And, you know, I would think that someone else would. Um, but what was really the, the, the epiphany for me is when my sister was diagnosed with cancer and in the waiting room with the physician, he kind of came in. Um, and she's my best friend, by the way, another woman of color, but I referred her as my sister. And he came in a room with a pathology report and he just looked at her and just tossed it over to her and was like, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's swaying cell carcinoma. And the look of, uh, she just trembled and it was the look of fear and anxiety on her face. And I grabbed the pathology report and I said, doctor, can you explain this to her? Like, you know what this is? And being in the industry, I knew what it was. And from that point on, I just felt like I had to do something about the way we're treated um, in the health in the healthcare setting, even as a patient, my you know, a person who's been to the ER or through a routine visit. I as a healthcare professional, I'm talked to very poorly or with the assumption that I'm just trying to, you know, fake pain for narcotic. And it's not that physicians are races or bias it's just that we it's an inherently biased institution that they work in so the thought process is just very intrinsic intrinsic towards minority people and i just felt like i had to do something to just change this and just influence the way providers think and act towards people of color and you know just different people of class as well it is a huge undertaking isn't it crystal i mean this is something that I mean, it's so ingrained, I guess, in the institution of, of healthcare, but also culturally, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And ever since, you know, historically, Black people have always been sub succumbed to being second class citizens, and healthcare is no exception with that. Um, the separate but law equal also applied to healthcare rules where white nurses couldn't serve black uh, black people, and then they didn't want black patients around, you know, white female nurses. And this is something that just carried throughout the legacy of healthcare. Um, and it has always been legally segregated for minorities and for poor. And the impact of that is that we have a, a, a more negative rate of um, life expectancy and health, um, almost by 56%. That's nearly half of us suffer from compromisable health outcomes just due to this legacy of the way things always have been. Um, so the lingering feeling of knowing that you know, we're not going to be treated well in the physician's office or, you know, the physician may have implicit bias. It does deter us from investing in our health the way we should. So there's a lot of moving variables, but I definitely want to start with, you know, challenging the thought process and changing that. So what is the approach? What, where do you start with something that's so ingrained? How do you get to a place where you're actually able to create the change that you're looking for? I will tell you, Chris, it's a, it's a challenge. <laughs> it's a big challenge because it's almost implying that you think a physician is racist and, you know, and that's not my implicit thought, but my, my strong suit, I can say, is that during my career, um, I traveled to different research institutions. I'm talking to different doctors. So I have a bit of, you know, a strong background in just dealing with the different personalities. But I can almost certainly tell you um, that it's, it's really just the approach of training. Um, my goal is to make this training for diversity and inclusion is to equip hospitals with hiring culturally fit physicians um, and just changing their behavior and their thought process and just challenging that because sometimes you don't know what you don't know, right? Um, and a lot of times doctors really don't know and it has to be something that's brought to their attention. And I say that from a healthcare perspective um, and I'm right in the front lines of just how things operate. So I can see clearly into both worlds and my approach for this is creating this framework that I intend to be the number one framework that is used and standard through all health settings that physicians must go through so that they're culturally competent and culturally fit. Um, and that, you know, this is an important aspect. It's not just anatomy and physiology anymore. You're treating the whole person. Um, <laughs> and that's really my approach with this. And this is how, that's how I came up with um, the idea of the Crawford Consulting Group. Originally, it was so many things for the past three years, um, but then I, and then I would, you know, pitch it to different people and they would say, I think you would have a bigger impact just, you know, talking to doctors and telling them that this issue exists. So I think that's the biggest uh, way for me to just tackle the issue right, right where it starts. And that's the patient provider relationship. So before we go to the doctors and, and a little and to healthcare industry, let's just try to capture for our audience the experience. I mean, it's it, it, your experience of your, your best friend, your sister, kind of having this report dismissively thrown at her. I, I mean, is what is it like to be a person of color in general in healthcare? Um, in healthcare 
on a professional aspect, um, it's, you know, I've, I've experienced some of, I've had some of the worst experiences in my career. Um, I was mocked for the way I looked. I was mocked for the way I spoke. I was mocked for where I came from. Um, there aren't many, you know, diverse leaders in a lot of these industries and, and you know, to understand that if this is a person who works within the industry, you're treating like this, imagine how you would treat a patient who looks like me, right? Um, and I came across some really great people who want to do right and want to put their best foot forward. But even as a healthcare professional, it gets extremely daunting for me at times. It's, it feels very, iso- you know, you feel very isolated. Um, and that's just a very peripheral uh, aspect of it. But I know throughout the 11 years, I've been through some very trying um, <laughs> experiences that, you know, it, it, I can I can say that it kind of rang the bell in my head for me as well, you know, to say you know, this something has got to be done about the way people think of people who look differently from them. Um, and to me as a professional, you know, I definitely felt the need to um, create this organization and just impact the way things are done holistically because for me, it's been so trying and it's been so isolating um, at times where, you know, I would be the only black woman on the team and there's, and, you know, people make, you know, try to make it seem like they can't relate to me or they wouldn't speak to me or, you know, things like that. Or, you know, I would, I would travel for business and, you know, I'm just the only black female that's there in science. And um, it's just hard to relate and hard to culturally relate to someone um, as well. And it can be very isolating. So I can imagine a patient. And talk a little bit about in these tough experiences, is your sense that the behavior of these of these professionals is intentional or is it just ignorant? I can be very honest, Chris. I do not think a lot of it is intentional. And I think as a woman of color, it's very important for me to always distinguish ignorance through just, you know, intentional maliciousness. Um, I always want to assume positive intent, especially with colleagues and peers. And I just think a lot of people are raised to think a certain way about a certain group of people that they do not come into contact with. And, you know, it's it's just that generational way of thinking. And even culturally, you know, I've worked with people from other countries who have predisposed notions about what, you know, Black people are in this country or, you know, Black women, you know, what, you know, how they were just so shocked I had an education and can actually get the job. Um, And a lot of times it is ignorance. It's just the lack of just indulging in a culture, you know, picking up a book or going to a museum or just simply, you know, asking your, your peer or your neighbor, hey, you know, what do you got, you know, just about their culture. And sometimes it's just malicious. It's just they don't want to, they don't want to know about you. They don't care to know about you. And um, so it's, it's, it's really a little bit of both, but I would say a large part of me believes that it's more ignorance than anything. So don't you think that a part of the solution, recognizing that it's endemic, this kind of behavior, not only in the healthcare professional, obviously, but in general, don't you think it's important for you to the best of your ability to not assume that it's intentional? Doesn't by assuming that it's 
a lack of awareness help you to find a place where you're able to then help somebody to create that awareness. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. And I can agree with you a hundred percent, Chris. And that's why, you know, like I said, I always assume positive intent and I just look at that those instances as opportunities for me to educate someone on, you know, mm-hmm. something that they may not know that they're doing erroneously or maliciously. And I do, I don't think it's intentional. Um, you always have a few bad apples in a bunch, but to me, I really do believe that that's the best approach. And, you know, it's not a space that I'm trying to create where, you know, I'm just like cracking people over the head and, and, right. and pointing the finger, but just to basically educate them and bring this to their awareness that this is what they're doing. Um, and we all probably have a lot of bad habits that we've been doing for a very long time that we're not aware that we're doing. And sure. that, that's really the shock factor. It's really uh, the, the shock factor that I want to um, impose on the healthcare um, institution and individual practitioners um, just about their behavior. So yeah, I agree with you 100% that I do feel like, you know, it, it can be that lack of awareness and that lack of knowledge. And I look at that as an opportunity for me to um, educate them on the fact that this is something, um, this is an issue. It's an ongoing issue. So let's talk about that a little more. Tell everybody, uh, one of the phrases you used earlier in the interview was uh, somebody being culturally competent or culturally fit. Talk about what that means from your perspective. So what culturally fit means for me, and I like that buzzword because like, <laughs> because it's, I think it's a great buzzword, but um, for me, a culturally fit leader is um, someone who um, is possibly faced with limited information. Um, but still able to make a decision, extracting all the variables, but able to treat the patient as a whole. Just understanding that this individual is different and to just know that, you know, their background may be a little different. Um, For example, if you're treating an Asian patient, you want to be culturally fit and culturally competent to know that traditional medicine may not be something that they that they want or look for. Um, And that's to me is having that awareness of something in other than yourself, having a holistic view and perspective. Um, and right. that's what I want that training to kind of, you know, do. I don't want to necessarily dig in a weed of everybody's background because we're such a melting pot. Um, but just to, just to kind of, you know, think, okay, first, this is a person that I'm treating. Um, and, you know, this is a whole, I'm not just patching up an arm. I'm, I'm not just injecting a needle. I am treating an entire individual. And that is culturally competent to me and culturally fit. And that's, um, that's the basis of my framework. So talk a little bit about your framework, help people to understand who are listening, what it looks like in terms of the types of things that you bring to the table to help somebody to, to become more culturally fit and competent, especially as it, it relates to people uh, of color. Sure. So um, we're focusing on diversity and inclusion, which is absolutely necessary to provide excellence for its diverse patient. And it's important because organizations must employ an innovative training to improve patients. So my first approach is um, that the training is very, very, very specific to uh, the patient needs. And that's based on real narrative and real um, real issues. So our framework is based around leadership, advocacy, um, being the patient champion, um, communication, 
respect breaking the bias um, in comparison to generic training that you will probably see online. They have like microaggressions, macroaggressions, things like that, which is a very overarching out of the box training. And I wanted mine to be very, very specific and unique to the need. Um, and as a healthcare professional who witnessed people to um, be that were treated poorly, I launched a lot of initiatives where I collected real raw data from patients and identify issues within the narrative. And I based my training um, around that. And I spoke with a lot of physicians and collected, you know, their, their perspective on what they what would get them excited about an initiative like this, like what, you know, what would engage them into something like that. So yeah, I definitely want to, the goal is to influence health healthcare institutions to utilize our um, our framework to be mandatory training in health studies. And this overall will improve patient outcomes. If a patient of color feels more confident in the care that they're receiving from their physician, they're more likely to invest in their healthcare the way they should. Um, so it's really rebuilding that patient provider relationship and breaking all barriers. One of the things you mentioned was going out and doing some research with physicians themselves what, about what would get them excited about this kind of training. What were some of the things that you were surprised that you heard from physicians about this? I was very surprised um, that a few physicians told me, um, well, I wasn't surprised at all that they told me they didn't need it, right? I ran into a lot of those, um, but I was very surprised that a lot of them, you know, were a bit uh, anxious to see what the framework would look like. Obviously, they don't want to sit in front of a computer and click away at a couple of buttons and be done. Um, I go through that at work enough. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, so they're not, you know, they're so smart. There's just the technical, technicality thing they're not into. Um, a lot of physicians are very, I was very excited to see that they were, you know, interested in the framework and that um, they wanted to uh, be hands-on. They wanted to do like a, one physician kind of um, gave me the suggestion of a stimulation. Like he kind of wanted to see where he you know, went wrong. Um, and I was surprised at that. Um, for, but for the most part, a lot of them were like, are you calling me a racist? I don't need it. Um, <laughs> so, right. you know, I had to change the, I definitely have to, had to change the approach because I, I did have an appreciation for um, their perspective on the way I was approaching the issue. The thing that's important to physicians are, uh, it's very tangible to them is, you know, the reputation and plaques on their wall, um, which shows that solidified their skill set. So um, I'm definitely intending for the training to be accredited um, in certification so that they can highlight their skill set and the fact that they did take the initiative to undergo the training. One of the things that occurs to me is that you've had experience with with um, people dealing with cancer. And, and I think of somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer, one of the most important things that you would want is for them to have the minimal amount of fear that they can have as they go into the process of starting to, to deal with their cancer. And I almost feel like for physicians that the same thing is true in terms of working with people with color. Is it that they're just fearful because they feel unfit in terms of culturally being able to 
have conversation. What's your sense of that? So historically, um, people of color are very much aware about the history of patient provider in the past. And we do have a strong sense of fear that we will be misled and we won't be given um, proper information and we will go you know, untreated and we will leave the office with unanswered questions. And I've personally experienced that. Um, and it's, it's a very strong fear. Um, that we just won't be treated properly. And, you know, I'll give you a great example. My grandfather, he's 80 years old, and he complained about his foot for months. Go to the doctor, granddaddy, go to the doctor. Nope, 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 I'm not going to go. They're not, they're either going to try to kill me in there or uh, <laughs> they're not going to treat me. So it's a, it's a strong sense of paranoia, just, just knowing that even in your desperate and most dire need, that you won't be looked at as human, you won't be treated as human. Um, and that's the strong sense that people of color usually have and to which I usually hear so much and, you know, to which I personally experience. So it was definitely that level of anxiety, uh, fear and paranoia that just and then it's, you know, the overarching lack of knowledge with a lot of things. But we don't seek it from physicians because we don't think it would be accurate and we don't think that um, they, you know, they would treat us properly. I know that your focus is on on healthcare, but how do you change that perspective among people of color? I mean, that's that has to drive all kinds of negative outcomes, don't you think? Yeah, um, I think it is a very long and hard journey to actually change your perspective. One way we can definitely break a lot of barriers is through education. Um, just, you know, a lot of us do have friends of different backgrounds and, you know, just just educating them. Hey, come with me to this museum that's that's featuring, you know, African art and, you know, just intriguing someone into your culture just so they can see the person and not the skin tone. Um, and my target is healthcare overall, but yeah, it's it's definitely something within the human interaction and in all of us um, that I think is, is, a, is definitely an ominous battle um, for us to try to break down the barriers. And me personally, I, I just think um, not, I don't think it should anger us. I think it should motivate us to want to get to know each other a little better. Clearly what you're doing has been, taking something that's been an incredibly negative experience, lots of negative experiences with it, whether it be with patients, as a healthcare professional yourself, and somehow you found a way to create motivation out of that as opposed to anger and, and, uh, and, and victimization. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very challenging. It's very challenging to do. Um, and it's something that I'm very passionate about, which facilitated my motivation. But um, a lot of a lot of times you do lose hope. You feel victimized um, by your adversities. You do become angered by it. And it's it's really I want to really lead the example of just saying, you know, just showing them that you take as, as cliche as this may sound, you do take lemons and you make lemonade. Um, and I just think that's something that's intrinsic to marginalized groups where even through everything, we still sometimes try to find ways to laugh or smile or have a good time, even if it's even if it's just the littlest things, littlest life hacks. 
And we should look at that and other aspects of life. Um, and I, I wanted, I want to be the example of that as well. And not just, you know, say, Hey, I'm just creating this, this business based off because I'm in the industry, but it's based off a of personal experience directly and from the direct and directly from the people I care about. So I feel that um, if we start to see each other do that, then we'll embrace the idea more of just controlling the anger, controlling the frustration, and just turning that into a moment of positivity and a moment to re-strengthen humanity. Um, but we would need it from both sides, um, everyone to collectively come together and want this to be the common goal. And, and I imagine at some level, as a person of color, you have to say, you know, when when you're in these adverse situations, <laughs> there but for the grace of God go I, right? And, and <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got to wrap up, but I want to ask uh, one last question. Talk about your vision of what what the ideal situation, and it seems silly, but I think it's so important. What's the ideal situation for people of color getting um, health care the way that you, you envision it? I envision the outcomes to be um, improved for people of color through trusting their physician and rebuilding that relationship and being excited about their health care, um, investing in their health care the way they should, right? I envision a friend or a family member coming to me saying, I have a great doctor and it doesn't matter what the background is. It's just the relationship is so strong that they're excited to go to the doctor and to keep going to the doctor to stay on top of their health. Um, our issue is preventative measures, right? Because by then, by the time we know anything, it's too late and we're planning for all types of catastrophic events. So my goal and my vision, if I can close my eyes and see this, is a harmonious, unified system between patient and provider. Those are the two key players in the entire game. And people of color being excited about their health, going to um, the doctor more, investing in their health, and trusting their physician and have a great relationship with their physician. That's my vision. And and healthcare professionals equally excited about uh, whoever walks through the door, right? Exactly. Just being, just being so excited about you know, the fact that they get to save a life, they get to treat a person, um, all those years of, of med school and all the money that they spend and not to just be feeling so burdened by the 15th room they walk in and it's this person they're thinking, uh, it's going to give them a hard time, but just being very excited about it and just building that relationship with their patient and, you know, just embracing their patient, exchanging Christmas cards, or, <laughs> um, you know, around the holidays or something like that, but a very strong relationship um, um, from both perspectives. That's, that's definitely my vision um, to break those barriers and rebuild the relationship because every person deserves a happy and a healthy life. And it starts with that relationship. And that's my goal and my vision. It's an amazing uh, vision that we all need to participate in. Crystal Crawford, you are with the National Association of Diversity and Inclusion for Healthcare Professionals. Also, you are the uh, founder of the Crawford Consulting Group. You can be found on Facebook, search for Crawford Consulting Group. On Twitter, see Consultants LLC. And on LinkedIn, search for Crystal Crawford MBA. 
Crystal, I wish you the very best in what you're doing. And uh, I, it's just, it's healthier for everybody. This vision makes everybody healthier, doesn't it? Right. Absolutely. I totally agree. Thanks so much. We, no I hope to have you back on soon. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate it.